0: Welcome to the conversations that carry us. Ces conversations qui nous soutiennent. I am your host, Jennifer Walton. I am an independent curator, writer, researcher, and workshop facilitator. This episode, the transparency that helps all of us, may excavate a lot of feelings, perhaps anger or hurt as I am exploring the taboo subject of contract and dive one level deeper into Monotalk with Gandai members Marsha Mahani and Pichuna Ng. However, I have to say that I felt hopeful and empowered and I do hope that it will be the same for you as we conclude this conversation. In thinking about care in the arts and the nature of this podcast, which is not only about character practice, but also about passing on knowledge, I thought there was no way I could not talk about how our understanding of contracts affect our relationships. As a freelancer and as someone who collaborates and contracts individuals, I strive to craft fair contracts that outline my values and ethics. Treating it as a conversational platform, I do think that we can enact caring relational building and also sustainable relationships. Talking about money and contract, contract making, is messy. But as highlighted by the title of this episode, this transparency does help all of us. It helps us us in to prevent more people to learn lessons the hard way and avoiding institutional and relational harm. Together, we question the seemingly fixed and rigid nature of contracts while debunking the collective belief that the institution knows better. We address common clauses, how responsibilities and deliverables are framed, and we also look in depth the notion of flat fee for an end product. We think through the amount of labor missing in curatorial and artist fees, power dynamic in contracts, the Carfax lines that we often overlook, tips on how to draft that contract negotiation email, how to seek support when things feel icky, and the huntings of the ND which are the non-disclosure agreement. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Marcia and Petrina were generous and bluntly transparent, using gossip as a methodology. Gendai actively supports our collective efforts for a better future. Throughout its 20-year history, Gendai has supported experimental curatorial and organizational practices whilst creating space for East Asian artists and artists of color. As Gendai's newest stewards, Marsha Maharani and Pichana Eng, are investing in the future of racialized arts leadership through collective research and practices. They began with Gandai MAMBA, mastering the art of misguided business administration, a year long capacity development and network building think tank between nine majority BIPOC art collectives to critique and reimagine institutional practices by centering values of collectivity, equity and access. This developed into Gandai Co op an ongoing research that responds to toxic labor conditions especially experienced by BIPOC arts workers at museums and art gallery. MA, MBA and co-op collaborators continue to meet via a casual drop-in to share stories and solicit advice from each other. Using gossip as a methodology to trace the contours of institutional power they build relationship with emerging and mid-career arts practitioners of color to learn about current workplace dynamics in the sector. Through peer mentorship and access to Gendai's platform, resources, and network, Marcia and Petrina have been experimenting with how racialized arts practitioners can support each other in pursuing non-institutional futures and imagine off-ramps from the linear express way of traditional capitalist and institutional career progression in the arts. Petrina and Marcia are informed by their roles and responsibilities as racialized settlers in uninvi- and uninvited guests. Working and Learning in Tkaronto, Toronto, which is the treaty lands and territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the traditional territories of the Wanda, the Hedoshone, the Chippewa, and the Anishinaabe First Nation. It's truly a pleasure to have you both here, uh, Masha and Petrina. I always look forward to have more conversation with you two. Um, they're always so stimulating, and I I always have like more questions and more drive after them. Um, and yeah, so I think it's just, it's just a privilege for me to have you here and I admire the work you do as like an entity in, in Gendai, like together, but also with your individual practice. So thank you for being here today with me. So if we can just start with the the basics of just, introducing, you know, like who you are and, um, you know, boost yourself up a bit, talk about the amazing things you've been doing. I think um, we don't always do that um, in a way that we're comfortable, but I want you to be comfortable to say how fantastic you are and phenomenal and all of that.
1: Oh, geez. (laughs) Like, okay.
0: (laughs)
2: So comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a high person.
1: <laughs> um, should we start with Gendai?
2: Yeah, let's start with Gendai. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, so Gendai is a 20-year uh, organization that was uh, founded originally as a gallery space for. Um, East Asian artists and artists of color, and Marsha and I took over Gendai in 2020 and have sort of shifted its um, mandate to support our investment in the future of racialized arts leadership through collective research and practice.
2: Um, Takeover, it sounds very serious, but it was a really... It was a really interesting practice of uh, succession planning, I think, um, where the original uh, stewards of Gendai at the time um, wanted to, wanted a break or wanted to move on. And instead of closing down Gendai, they kind of uh, they did an open call um, for other people to imagine what Gendai could be and selected uh, new stewards for its direction. Um, so yeah, we, we're we super honored to be Gandai because, because of all the things that the organization is doing, um, but also in my practice as a researcher now, I'm doing my PhD, looking into histories of, um, of art institutions in Canada and thinking about how People before us have been fighting for racial equity again and again and again, and Gendai's name keeps popping up in these histories of um, resistance and alternative spaces. So we're feeling very honored.
1: It's also the best because I am not doing a PhD, but I get to be a PhD research adjacent. I get all the benefits (laughs) without having to do all the institutional labor.
2: And I get the benefits of texting Katrina snippets of my reading and be
0: like, what is this? What do you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. It's mutually beneficial, but yeah. also we don't all need a PhD. <laughs>
1: so it's
0: all good. No, I, don't know I if just I recommend,
1: I recommend being adjacent to someone doing one and not doing mm-hmm. one yourself.
2: I actually pretend yeah. someone else is doing mine. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: So you're also
0: adjacent. Yeah, I'm also adjacent. (laughs) And I think it's so amazing um, that you, exactly, I think it's something that is special about your role in Gendai. It's the institutional knowledge that comes with it in the archive and being the new, you know, stewardess of, of, of this gathering of information and, um, A lot of institutions who have been around during very like crucial periods of like art activism, Um, you know, a lot of those uh, archives are like lost or maybe in someone's closet or Mm -hmm. under someone's bed or in a basement, (laughs) you know, and um, having a new generation uh, kind of like working through and building from there and bringing it in a different direction is like really precious so yeah and um and like from there i invited you today because i we've been having different conversations around these themes but also around contracts and to me, it's a very important conversation to have because it's one that always come too late, I think, um, in the scheme of like becoming professional curators. Um, from my experience, I've always seen them as something like fixed, uh, rigid, um, that I could not question because the institution knew better because they worked on them and were using them for X amount of years. And then having this conversation uh, with you both uh, including uh, curator Tian Zhang and Ying Li uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and uh, questioning certain clause, such as um, the act of God, and what it could mean to release responsibility uh, on both parties, like on the institutional part, how actually there is space to maybe contest and protect yourself and even provide new models of understanding, like needs, uh, collective needs. Um, So let's ease into this somewhat taboo, I think, topic by just, I think I just want to know a little bit about what are your feelings regarding contracts and how, how do you see them? Contracts are icky. Mm -hmm.
1: I I feel like I dissociate
2: when I read contracts because I, it's hard. It's, it's, it's emotional or intimidating, um, and you we get should get
1: that email and you're like
0: flag it for later
1: flag it for later
0: I really take a lot of time to sign contract because I know there's uh, we talked the last time about contract reading fatigue which I think is real uh, when there's like several pages with sometimes wording that you have to really concentrate on to, like, understand what they're actually asking of you. Um, And you were both sharing about the labor behind reading contracts. Yeah, I mean,
2: this also, I think we maybe, I'll uh, go back and talk about how we also came to, like, approach Gandai with this idea. Um, It's because, like, we were both, we held, Institutional jobs before, and we had exhibition coordinator hats <laughs> in many different institutions. And, like, you know, whatever the title is, it's a lot of coordination. And I, that was when you're talking about how you feel contracts are as rigid as because the institution knew better, and this is how they've been doing it. Like, I was that institutional person sending out contracts, and I also thought the institution was rigid and there was no space for me to kind of question that contract. And, but it's, I, it's not true. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. So it's, the a constitution doesn't know because the institution, someone um, also is sending out contracts. Um,
1: it's and- not part of your onboarding at your job to really understand what the institutional contracts mean. You're just like, okay. And then here's the contract that you send it. yeah here's your to-do list yeah you just send it out without really being given the opportunity to understand uh what the what the intentions and purposes and all the fine print means
2: and um I think the feeling was that I need to send this contract out and I need to get it back and a lot of the the kind of conversations that were happening in the institution, and one of the institutions I was at was like, "Why is it so hard for artists to just sign a piece of paper and give it back to us?" <laughs> but we did. I didn't. We didn't think about it on the other side, and um, and you know that I, you know, you know that it's icky. You also, you also don't want to deal with the contract. So, sending it out, you just want to get it out and want to get it back. You don't want to think about it. Because, you know, it's it's not a comfortable thing. Um, but it needs to change, for sure.
1: And we don't think about that it's unpaid labor that we're asking of artists and independent curators to spend that time reviewing, asking questions, negotiating. That's all unpaid labor on top of all of the other unpaid labor that we already do. <laughs>
0: A recurring theme in this podcast. (laughs) The nature of our unpaid labor. Unpaid labor. And And it's not to discourage people. I just think like conversations like these are just important not to drive people away from these jobs, but more so that like we can have collective discussions about how things can like go for the better. And move forward from here. And at X space, I did have the great experience of like having the space to acknowledge that contracts can be like a like a space where a collective pedagogy could be like sort of like nurtured since we were sitting down with emerging artists and. And also being emerging ourselves Um, and like kind of like read the contract together and go bit by bit and sort of decipher what this language is and being clear with the artist, what we were expecting from them and what to expect from us. But I don't think it's like a widespread practice, which I do feel is like missing. Yeah. I love Um, this
2: emerging space where you're surrounded with others trying to figure out something together which doesn't happen often because if you're an emerging artist showing at a museum for the first time you don't have peers to like look at your contracts with you
1: and I think Um, most contracts are really focused on the deliverables like focused on the end product and um, what deliverables are expected and when and really just speaks so little about the process of how we're supposed to get there together and the process how that could be better for each of us how that can be feel supported or you know approach with a with generosity um i think that's what's really missing from most contracts that we've seen
0: and like their relationship building Yeah, through the process of working together, even if it's not like a close, you know, collaboration, there is still parameters of working together. And these are not, it's true, they're not really highlighted or being part of or, and it's also sometimes, yeah. Even
1: the money, um, the money part, it's Mm -hmm. always a flat fee for a deliverable. And so you're really not given like a good understanding of um, how much labor is expected of you or how much labor is, is you know, even like considered. Um, it's always just a flat fee for an end product. Um, and that's where we see so much of, so much unpaid work goes into delivering that end product um, because the labor, uh, the amount of labor is not even considered in the discussion
0: or the power dynamics, which is also something that we have discussed about. And I think leads to my other question, which is sort of what are the clauses that you particularly pay attention to when reading a curatorial uh, contract?
1: Um, A big one that I look at is always looking at the balance between responsibilities and rights. A lot of uh, institutional contracts that I've seen really give the institution, like you were talking about power dynamics, really give the institution the upper hand in having the final say in what the end product looks like or when the end product must be delivered, et cetera, um, but then places all of that responsibility on the independent party to not violate any copyright laws, to um, you know figure everything out on their end, and when we think about power dynamics i think that's a big one is like who has the ultimate say in what happens but then who has the ultimate responsibility in making sure it happens
0: yeah that's so huge petrina it's true that like a lot of a lot of the the success i guess like is not seen as like a two way thing but like really it all rests on your shoulder Mm-hmm. What about you, Marsha? Um,
2: yeah, I look at the fees. <laughs> I I look at the fees a lot, and, and trying to think about what I can put into it, what what I can, how I can scale the project to match the fee, which is already um, is already labor. <laughs> I think a lot of it is already labor. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the there I look at the fees but I also look at a feedback uh, breakdown like what number of hours am I willing to put in what number of hours are they expecting um, based on the scope but then also looking at carfac fees as guidelines for minimum labor. Um, so I try to envision like, okay, this looks like a few meetings. Um, how does that compute? Like, how does that correlate with like preparation, Carfax preparation fee, which not a lot of people look at, I think, uh, but it's supposed to cover all your email correspondences and that kind of stuff. Um, in addition to regular artist fee and curatorial fee, And there's also no fees for install. Um, The installation fee is also a CARFAC fee. Um, So that should be its own line. And I think a new thing to add is even like a fee line just for contract negotiations. And it could be just two hours of work. It could, but... I mean, lately, I mean, what we've seen is that negotiations took a long time because it has to happen over email because um, first it's uncomfortable to talk about these things directly, especially when there's like a power imbalance of like of numbers. Um, I'm lucky as I always work collaboratively. So I always have other collaborators in the room with me. Um, But also on the other hand, the institution has to check other people with an institution if these things can move yep. so it ends Absolutely. up being lots of emails and mm-hmm. emails they keep flagging for
0: later because <laughs> <So. laughs> <laughs> they don't also they don't want to have this conversation nobody like what asking? do you mean you're asking for these things <laughs> I'm giving you a flat fee come on yeah
2: um i think yeah that's that's the main fi- the main line that i look at um and in, in terms of this balance of power that Petrina was talking about, like I think um, what I've learned from our work together is to ask for the protection that institution asks for itself. Um, so that's... Um...
1: Yes. When an institution says, you will not badmouth us, we ask for the same.
0: Mm, I love that. I have been writing um a care clause and it's like a joint uh caretaking clause which i've been like asking people to put in my contract when they send me a contract and it really results from it's like right after the conversation we've had with xian And seeing like, I just I was like, I need to like, start to draft this for myself so I can protect myself and my labor during uncertain times and like, ask for people to be gentle, (laughs) or to consider my labor and and then I was like, Oh, wait, that's not just a pandemic thing. That's just just a thing that should just happen. But Um, I want to hear more about, um, you know, when you show up uh, to do those negotiations. How do you start the conversation? Um, I also know exactly, as you were saying, Marsha, like you work collaboratively, so it's a little bit less scary to do. So for the people out there who are maybe like navigating a little bit more alone and maybe not collectively, uh, just bring a friend. Um, you know, <laughs> as maybe um say it's a collaborator, a consultant. Um, I'm sure Marcia and Petrina, you have also maybe other ideas of like how to rope people in as uh I don't know, support aid for those moments that can be intimidated. But yeah, like how do you start these conversations? Um yeah, by email, those uncomfortable conversations. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it has been by email, but not to say that the power numbers doesn't help. Like when, when I read a contract and maybe I feel a little weird about something, I might just let it slide. But if I let other people read it, then they bring it up too. And you kind of realize that's not something to dismiss. This little feeling is actually something. Um. So that's really important. I think what if I don't know if we did this consciously, but I think what's happened also is when we got a contract, I think we move it to a Google Docs
0: and just start editing it. And we did that with YTB, yeah, with YTB yeah, like Gallery. Think- We're like, let's look at this contract together, and which also goes to like your point about calculating hours and the fee offered and so we did the maths about like how much we pay ourselves per hour and then what was asked and then kind of did this whole chart about how much time a meeting is and what we envisioned for this and that and then came up with a month number but it's true it's a lot of that's a lot of process <laughs> lot of yeah process.
1: and i Something think to do with institutions i think institutions really thrive on that secrecy thrive on um, no one else kind of knowing what other organizations are doing and so i think for us it's like kind of mm-hmm. trying to counteract that that if institutions are not going to share with each other we're gonna share what institutions are you know, what contracts they're giving to us, what clauses they're asking of us, how they treat people that they work with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, yeah, a transparency that just helps everyone.
0: Yeah. That's so good.
2: Yeah. So maybe if you can't, if you're not doing a in-person negotiation, um, maybe ways like, okay, I got this contract. I'll Take some time to look at it and then use that time to forward it to your friends and start a Google document with your friends. Um,
1: that's such a good idea. Yeah, because when you friends. get a contract yourself, it's like not as foreign. Mm-hmm. You've been like, oh, I remember this discussion I had about so and so's contract. Um, and it can help you, like, no, help you kind of develop a better understanding of all the scary words.
0: To go back to my question of like, how do you initiate conversation? Because I think sometimes people just need like direct how to's. What is the kind of vocabulary that you use in the email? Like, how do you, after the, I hope this email finds you well or rested or healthy or all of that, (laughs) the pleasantries, after the pleasantries, how do you go there?
2: I'm looking up emails as we speak.
1: Ooh, that's a good idea. I mean, I think I usually just start with, I have some questions. And I think that's a good way of like
0: starting a conversation. Maybe not being like, I hate this contract.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, contracts you know. are always sent over with, let mm-hmm. me know if you have any questions and like take their the word Obama. for it.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, like, I do have questions. It took me so long to get there. I mean, I don't know if it's, like, so long. I don't know how, like, so long is defined by all the people. But I guess not soon enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But definitely having a conversation about it with your friends prior just helps you feel more confident in sending that, mm-hmm. in sending that email. Yeah. Um, because it validates, you know, your... Like Marsha was saying, your gut feelings or your small feelings that you like push down. Um, mm-hmm. If you feel validated in those, then I think you would feel more empowered to ask those questions.
2: Yeah. So, in my email, this is an old email for contract negotiations. I just said hi. Thank you for a thank you for the contract and budget info. Here is an edited copy of the contract for your review. <laughs> Link to Google Doc
1: use that template
0: everyone I uh Marsha I always love your energy because you're just like no it's not just a few questions here yeah. how I revise it please see and let me know if you have questions yes. <laughs> and I didn't mean it
2: in a power move way but you know I did maybe but I did. It,
0: it, it's it, it, looks looks it's it
2: looks a power move. It looks friendly. Okay. I you think have thank power you, moves. Exclamation point. You know, like I I'm mean. Excited. Good. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I think um I mean power moves I don't think power moves should be seen as like something like mean or like you were purposefully tr- like positioning yourself as a threat or it's more like listen this the document is not fully appropriate for the labor or the things that I will be contributing so here is here's a revision of the task or this relationship or yeah that's awesome more of us should just be like here you go here you go (laughs) another power move uh, in this
2: really um admirable way is Mm -hmm. we found out about the practice that the collective make or make or break um what they do is that so they're an art collective based in sydney i believe and they have on their website on their artist's website just a link to a terms of agreement document Um, and the idea is that if you're anybody institution or otherwise, um, if you're interested in working with them, um, these are, this is how they work. Um, so it's kind of a power move in terms of like, oh, you have an institutional contract. We have an institutional contract. (laughs) Um, we have a template here you go. You know, like, so you have it. I love the idea that they have it ready. They have it open. It's an open source so that other collectives can adapt it to their own use. Uh, and uh, they have it up front. So if you're interested in engaging with us, this is these are our terms. Um, and you have it ready. So it's not added labor every time you're engaging with someone new, um, which I think is very helpful. It's so
0: good. Mm-hmm. And I also think it can be applied like, Now I'm like having these thoughts about maybe on my website, um, in the about tab or whatever, which I really need to update, I should have a bit that is just kind of like, if you are to work with me, here are the things that I expect. Maybe like, you know, being upfront and having it on your website. Like it's, a, like it's full transparency. And so people who are looking to work with you, they know also what to ex- expect. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, I, think? you should also have your care clause
2: up there. Do you have it already?
0: <laughs> I have it already. And I okay. share it with whoever asks. And I really am open about anybody. Copy it and... Um, make it their own because I think it's important exactly. just even for like collaboration um between each other. I think a lot of people have um certain reverse about uh reserves about like collaboration and not really knowing how to define those relationships and creating like a document with boundaries um which I think are maybe necessary even when you're working with a friend. Yeah.
2: Yeah that's important awesome. too. It's um uh, yeah, it that's important too. We don't talk about that a lot about contracts. I mean, contracts aren't super serious, but it is important to have an out, like a, an understanding with your collaboration. Yeah. But also knowing that a lot of collective dynamics um, evolve over time. You kind of like, you get mm-hmm. together first and then you kind of realize how each other work and you work around it or work with it um, and find your own strengths. And so it's, yeah, it's hard to start with something. Um, but I mean, that's also the nature of contracts. It's like a living agreement. Um, it should, I think maybe the, I mean, I think it's about that power imbalance. Um, if you make contracts negotiable, then people are, have this um, I don't know. Have this like thinking that like, if contracts are negotiable, like someone's gonna out- be out to get me, you know, <laughs> someone's someone's just gonna like back out on their promises. Um, but yeah, yeah how do you do that in good mm-hmm. faith? Where you are like, actually, we figured out that this is the way we work together. Let's like revise it a little bit. Um,
0: what do you think, Petrina?
1: Yeah, I mean, what I find super helpful is to take the fee that they're offering me and break down what I think that fee will cover. And a lot of times the institution doesn't make it super clear. Um, They'll just kind of throw out like a lump sum and won't really go into detail about what's expected. But I find that, and maybe this is like part of the power dynamic that you're talking about, Marsha, like giving them your own terms. I find that if I break down that lump fee and I'm like, look, this is what this pays for. Uh, pays for you know X amount of meetings, pays for this time in install, et cetera. It almost like makes the institution feel silly that they're underpaying you so much when you actually like do the math and Break down how much labor is expected from that one fee. So, it, yeah, I do think that the more you do it, as well, the more you get used to doing it, and the, it's like a muscle, right? It's like um, it's like building muscle memory in reading and understanding, but also kind of teaching teaching yourself and um. Conditioning yourself to get comfort, more comfortable having those conversations.
0: Contract as muscle memory. I love that. This is, I feel like every time I'm in conversation with people, I'm like, and we have a title for another book. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's write this book. Um, yeah, like a muscle memory. It's true like, that like I'm getting more and more comfortable because like the first time I emailed someone it was like thank you for sending the contract I reread it and revised it Um, you know this term is okay with me I would love to change the wording of that clause and also by the way I want this care clause to be part of the of the, um, of the body of the contract. And then I also say, cause like sometimes exactly like uh, what we were saying about how actually people sending us the contract are not necessarily the ones sort of like in care of the wording of it and like how it presents. Um, and sometimes they have to talk with HR or whoever is in charge of that. Um, so I asked that like, if it cannot be added in the um, body of the contract to discuss about creating an appendix that we will both sign, like an extra, like a letter on the side that is like still part of the contract, but it's like, yeah, it's still there. And I don't want not like it to not be there. But I've never really, outside of YTB, I think, find found the internal strength sometimes to like actually fully break down the number they gave me and then saying like this means that this is what you're paying me for this thing and this is the amount of free labor you're asking me like I'm not yep you know what this year (laughs) this year is the year because I did a math in my head sort of you know, approximately, but I, and then I'm like, am I too busy? Does it make sense? How much energy, you know, and all of that comes into it, but I never like fully spell out that to the contracting body. We're we're, we're starting a revolution. I just want to let you know.
1: Yeah, and on, <laughs> I mean, and on the, thinking about like from the institutional side, how are they supposed to know if we all just keep overworking ourselves, delivering incredible projects, and not being honest with ourselves and with them about how much work it takes to deliver these projects.
0: Oh my God, Mm -hmm. Katrina. (laughs) (laughs) How are they supposed to know? But then like for curatorial fees, there's not even the minimum of the results. So like usually I just the way I look at fees is sometimes also, okay, what did I get so far? And then when a contract unlocked like another line, I'll be like, oh, this time I paid for install. Okay, yeah, this is something I'm gonna keep on wanting. Oh, this time they pay for travel. Okay, yeah, this, this is my new baseline now. But it's always like my new baseline comes with different contracts that people give me. Um, and I just, I don't know. Like, how do you create your baseline? How did yeah. you create your baseline?
2: That's a really good point that like a lot of contract work is also like what you got away with last time, which is not much, <laughs> um, but also how you've been burned last time. And then you're like, okay, I'm, I have oh to add God. this to the next <laughs> one, Yeah, um, which I think, um, before I forget, we should talk about like the Gendai contracts project that we're doing. Is like, we're gonna create this website that's a wiki that is a site for um, various templates of other contracts that's been, um, that people have used, that, pe- that it's been working. Um, and with annotations of like what's not working or what, how it could improve. But in a way, it's kind of become. The idea is that it will become a resource so that people can look at other people's contracts and see what their baselines were, and um, what have they learned about um, their own, their other people's experiences with institutions. So you don't have to keep learning the hard way. Like everyone's learning the hard way, but if everyone shares their their experiences then we can have our own baselines a collective baseline. Um and this is kind of yeah it's it's helpful to have precedence you know it's helpful to have um samples of things that have that other institutions have agreed to so you can say this other institutions have agreed to this contract what's wrong with yours if you say this is an issue um but also we had this project that fell through um, and they we knew it was a well-funded project and it couldn't continue anymore but we had done some work um, for it and they asked us, can you invoice us for the labor you've that's that's been done um, So we just started charting all the emails we sent and all the meetings we'd had and listing like how many hours each one
1: how lawyers do it.
2: How lawyers do it. It's like billable hours. What did we say? Like I think we did 0.
1: 0.1 of an hour per email. Per email. So we added up all the emails that were exchanged throughout the project. Mm-hmm. And
0: emails take time to write sometimes, like especially like I think in our line of work, there's like so many details and logistical information and it's not all like, yep, thank you, bye. <laughs> you know, like there's always more things to them.
2: Um, no. And I, want, not- I don't want it to be quick. I, I do want no. it to check in. I do want to know how my collaborators are doing. Yeah. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Continue the charting. It's so good.
1: (laughs) Okay, so after that project fell through, the one that you're talking about, Marcia, Gendai also developed um, a new clause that we include in future contracts about transparency of um, institutional equity issues.
2: Because we are keenly aware that we work in this hot new like <laughs> hot what do you new call it? Trend collective washing of collective washing of dei washing Ooh, i don't collective know of <laughs> washing um so everybody yeah institutions want to work with collectives but don't pay collective fee they pay one artist fee for everybody um which is also really helpful to be charting all all of your labor. And it means that it's not like one person is doing the job and like pass it on to another person. It means a lot of people are thinking about the same project at the same time. Um, and making it better, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> yes, please. Uh, yes, yes. so we always, we always ask for a collective fee.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And institutions always, always act surprised. They're like, oh, we've never come across this before. Um, and in one instance, um, the collective that Marsha mentioned earlier, Make or Break, they worked with that institution prior and they told us, no, we did ask for that last year so they're pretending <sighs> like they don't know no! but- and they got it <laughs>
2: make a break got the collective fee and oh the God. reason they asked it is first of all I think their labor deserves the collective fee of course but also because they want this to be a template for future collectives um and it didn't it didn't happen that way
0: man that's so disappointing
1: yeah and I will always just ask the institution like how can we just scale back this project so it's reasonable for everyone reasonable for the Mm -hmm, staff mm -hmm. to not feel like they're you know burning out on it reasonable for us based on how much money is in the budget so we'll ask for you know one one less person on a panel or one less workshop for the same for the same fee just so that everyone has a reasonable expectation of each other and we're i don't know why we're in this sector where it's always the maximum amount possible it's always you know oh we're we're so pleased to pay you the minimum fee for the maximum amount of work
0: oh my god and this is such a good point when you are talking about um Thinking about the staff. The contract also never thinks about the staff. I'm not even sure who it thinks about. <laughs> like, it's true because because a lot of the time with the things that are asked, let's say, to be accomplished for the project to be done in it's full scale and like the things that you've discussed and dreamed up in the meeting with the contracting body, it never really... Uh, takes into account the extra hours that, you know, staff will have to do, the coordinator, the technicians, the, yeah, it's, oh my God. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> so much to think about.
1: Wow. Yeah, and I think, like, Marcia and I, you know, because we've been on both sides, um, we have both perspectives.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. I want to go back to uh, Patrina was saying that we added a new clause because of that mm-hmm. project that fell through, and um, yes, we're aware of collective washing, but we're also aware that people want um, diversity projects, <laughs> and in this climate, very superficially, yeah, hot, hot commodity, hot commodity, um, temporary invitation for guest interruption, and. Uh, and then bye bye afterwards. Um, but do you but, really want to stay there though? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but you know, like make or break. For example, you know, temporary invitation to like insert this new clause of providing collective fee, but then it didn't it didn't become incorporated into how they work. Um, but anyway, so. We decided to now ask um, in our contracts to say that Gendai will be notified immediately in the event of any institutional staff misconduct, specifically in relation to any discrimination occurring within the institution or by the institution against the public. Um, And that we want to use, and we we have the right to use the information to decide whether or not to participate, continue participating in a project. And if we decide to back up, that we still get our feet.
1: I mean, this is next level. I mean, but that's another, and that's another power imbalance, right? Is that the institution yeah. reserves their right to back out at any time that's for any true. reason, mm-hmm. and yeah. we never afford that same right the to same the independent right. party?
0: Yeah, and I love how you talk it about like rights, because because these are rights. These are more than like conditions or demands, like these are rights. Um, The right to have the right information, the right to transparency.
1: The right to say no. Right now,
0: yeah. Or like the right to maybe not wanna be collaboratively like working with someone, you know, have hurt other peers, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but that like, Nobody really talked about it because it's like people were maybe like scared for their jobs or you know, like I am mind blown right now. I mean this is next <laughs> level because you came from a next level bad <laughs> or
1: yeah, next level burn. Next, next
2: level burn. And I don't want we don't want anybody. Oh, <laughs>
0: Oh, no. Thinking about this class. Now that you're contextualizing it like that, you're <laughs> no. like, next level because of next level burn. Um, it's true. We want to avoid as much as possible people to have to get to the next level burn. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Um, talking about next level burn, <laughs> what about NDAs? <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Oh, yeah. How what what and how what do you feel about ndas and how how have you dealt with them if it makes sense also now i'm like i'm fully saying oh yeah you had ndas meaning you cannot disclose i don't know is that binding (laughs) am i going into the really dangerous waters here (laughs) stop me stop yourself (laughs) Where, where it needs to be stopped but yeah just, I just wanted to be, know about this
2: yeah this is like something that keeps coming up so one of Canada's projects is that we um, talk to arts workers racialized arts workers um, about their experiences working at or with institutions and one thing that keeps coming up is I was asked to sign an NDA and non-disclosure agreement. And this is just, and we just keep seeing how this is a way for institutions to behave badly and make, I don't know, I, I can't even say make up for it, um, but basically behave badly the, and ask the pers- the people involved to never tell anybody about it and then continue behaving badly.
1: Yeah so we've seen institutions make it seem like your job relies on signing an NDA or any severance or payout relies on sending an NDA signing an NDA and they give the person a false deadline you know if you don't sign by this date and I think that, yeah, it just really is a tool from the institution to try to adhere to that secrecy that it's how they keep their power.
0: This is horrifying. It, it is. No joke. And it's, it,
2: this is one or like, like the very much this like power imbalance. This is the instance of power imbalance is that they know that you're relying on getting your money <laughs> so, they know you're precarious and they know it's it's money that you've earned already um through mm. overtime or picking on your responsibilities or anything like that and then they're like oh by the way yes we owe you this money but um you have to sign this document um otherwise you won't get the money Th- this makes no sense this makes no sense and I don't know if it's binding, but the, the, it's, it's actually not, it's, it, I don't, I don't think it is, but the, the process of proving to a court that it's not binding will put the precarious person in further precarity because you have the paperwork mm-hmm. and mm. you have to invest in time, and emotional. And yeah. You're.
0: And uh, a lot of time you're alone.
2: You're alone. Yeah. You're
0: facing that letter alone. Mm -hmm. Because what are you going to do?
2: You're going to tell people that you're supposed to sign an NDA and then the institution be like, well, it's too late now. You didn't sign the NDA and you spilled the beans. So no money for you. Take us to court.
0: Oh my God.
1: Um, I signed an NDA a few years ago, um, but I was fortunate enough to have a lawyer who was working with me through the process. And I will share that NDA offline with anyone who asks.
0: Perfect. We'll, we'll put that in, in the transcription that we can reach out. Is, uh, can you just let us know, is there any way of changing clause in an NDA?
1: You need a lawyer.
0: Yeah, you need a lawyer. You need to lawyer up. All right, maybe and we should in have my experience.
1: Yeah. yeah, in my experience, um, a really good lawyer won't charge you up front. A really good lawyer will like listen to you, take a quick look, and say, Okay, here's what you can reasonably expect out of a negotiation, and then they will be up front and say that their fee will come from whatever settlement or whatnot that the NDA is giving you. And they can negotiate their fee to be part of the settlement. So it doesn't come from the money that's owed to you.
0: Can we repeat this louder for the back? Because like <laughs> what I was saying is that when you layer up, it's one, scary. And a lot of the time you're not even sure where to start or who to contact if it's not someone that you have around you in your life um so just starting with the basics like you just said patrina like what how can you know you have a good lawyer is so instrumental in empowering people in those situations thank you so much do you have other like
1: Advice <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, always keep a written record of all the shit that goes down. It's overwhelming to be like in it and to be experiencing it. If you feel mistreated or you feel disrespected, um, but it becomes so important to write that all down. The dates when it happened what happened um because a lawyer will a a lawyer will need that and um if you're in a situation where it's like a long-term project and you're working for like you know over the course of many months um or even years it can be really hard to remember those details that are just like awful to think about but if you just write them down right away
0: then Mm -hmm. you know
1: put that notebook in your freezer and go out for a run. <laughs> then you have an account to pass on to somebody. And it means that your voice can be
0: heard. Mm-hmm. Yes. What about you, Marsha? Do you have any advice on protecting oneself, even just in general? Um. Oh, I have a really
2: sad playlist. <laughs> that out loud, I like, yeah, I yeah, I would do like so, like I would do karaoke
0: at home That's awesome. with really yeah.
2: sad playlist just to like get it out. <laughs> I
0: don't know. Mm-hmm. This is
2: and pumping. No, anyway it is helpful. Or negotiating.
0: It's good, <laughs> negotiating it's good to control. know. You need to also have emotional outlets for what you're going through. But also, e- like Marsha, I think you're one of the person that A, crafts really great email, and I don't repeat it enough, but I think mm-hmm. it's an art form to have great emails. And second, you also write great fiery emails. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> um I remember when we had the U-Haul truck show and we were illegally towed. Um you, you were like very good at like having that email sent to like the people who were supposed to protect us in that instance.
2: Mm. And maybe that's a, that's a form of journaling, right? <laughs> hmm yeah uh, yeah write a draft email and if you don't want to send it to the person um you know just write it to yourself
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: write it to like a, another email account that you have and then you can just log into it if you ever need a, a, a an accounting of what had happened
0: i do have a hotmail account that i barely use yeah mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Um, and um, Genda has been really lucky because over the past mm-hmm. three years, we've been developing this network of peers. That we have a WhatsApp group that, if mm-hmm. anybody has any questions or needs to vent or ask for dirt on someone, um, it's a it's like a it's like a group of working peers that we can that we can tap into at any time um right. so develop develop your own whatsapp group support network i think that's key so even though we're even though you know if you're if you're like a solo practitioner it doesn't mean that you can exist without community
0: it can be very isolating sometimes especially working as a curator i think in a whatsapp group has been yeah it it's it's been Great. I have no other word than great right now. But
1: uh, I thought you were no, talking very about caring. WhatsApp group.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in your WhatsApp group. I have to say, like, I cannot be in a WhatsApp group with a lot of people. Like, mm-hmm. it needs to be a small unit. Otherwise, I kind of get dizzy and I get dissociated. Um, dissociative, dissociated. Yeah, I can't follow threads with many people. And I know you have a big amazing reach with the MAMBA, which is like so cool it's true though it is hard to like be
2: part of big whatsapp groups um there's mean, some people thrive in them i have a hard time i have a hard time too but i think it's common we have like um good school uh one of ytv's collaborators and um <laughs> produce this line of t-shirts that make fun about we make fun of collective work and one of them is I have my collective has a whatsapp group but I'm not in it <laughs> so I think this is just a common
0: thing I and I like I think I took that shirt because I yeah. felt I felt like I was under you were seen <laughs> I felt seen <laughs> I'm the one who's not in it <laughs>
2: okay. But yeah, Um, so
0: a form of smaller WhatsApp groups. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Form the WhatsApp group, you have the capacity for. Yeah.
1: All you need is a few trusted buddies in the sector.
2: Yeah.
0: -hmm.
2: And it's it's hard, like you know, especially if you're just starting out. Like you work. I think I was conditioned to like keep things close, but. Mm. I learned so much more by sharing vulnerability. Um, and that's how Gendai started. <laughs> we mm-hmm. were venting about our situations.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. And we were in like very comparable jobs at different institutions. And we were never, you know, encouraged to befriend one another. There was always this unspoken Like line of competition between us and we didn't know
0: each other oh thank god you talked about you're talking about this
2: (laughs) yeah and the more we talk about it the more people talk to us about it and Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's hard to find someone you can you can trust Uh,
0: because it's so true we are in many ways conditioned especially I think as racialized cultural workers and curators um sort of like this weird exceptionalism and then there can only accept one, which I think you also already talked about. And then whether you want it or not, you're sort of like put in this weird position that like anyone around you can be a competitor. And so like then it's hard to like build coalition and trust when you see people um, from your community Like maybe being exactly competitors when in real there's space for everyone because we're not, you know, engaging in the same way or even if it's similar, then let's just collaborate and work on making things better and like or an idea better or, you know. Yeah, that's still something I'm
2: struggling with when I see other people doing similar thing or in, interested in similar things. Like my mm-hmm. first instinct's always like, oh, I gotta be better than this person. But mm-hmm. then I'm still working through that. I've been like, no, this is my future
0: collaborator. We'll yeah. And it's not the Highlander. There can not only just be one, which is like such a lonely position and also we need repeats because what can you achieve with just one thing there's no way exactly you need recurring recurrence of a same thing to support people especially if you are in the line of support of community support uh the support needs to be ongoing so we need repeats without burning out the same people right exactly Mm mm-hmm um so we are like, kind of like, I think at the line of like, wrapping up slowly. So I, you've named a few projects that you've been doing. And I think I would like uh, our listeners to know more about what you've been doing. You had a call that was circulating recently. Um, I think also people should know more about MAMBA. Um, you are just doing so much, but like, really great things that I like a pace that like feels more organic and less rushed tr- rushed through. Anyway, uh talk more about the great things.
2: <laughs> we have um yeah we started with MAMBA which stands for mastering the art of misguided business administration and that's for collectives to come together um, with the premise of capacity building, because that would get you grants, <laughs> but but and we did do that. Uh, we talk about um, think we talk about operational strategies, um, and we talk to a lot of different experts. But we also rethink the way, like we kind of we learn from people who are brilliant um, and want to like want to re reimagine things with us too. So we kind of use that as a way to trust build between like the different collectives and form this WhatsApp group. Um, so we m- used to meet once a month online. Um, uh, but then, you know, now we're, we have a WhatsApp group and we meet socially like every couple months. Um, and our plan for MAMBA is also to quote unquote tour it. Um, and in that we're open for any other collective to reach out to us and say, Hey, I want to start my own collective WhatsApp group. Um, and we'll be like, hi, hey, okay, great. Here's a grant application. Here's our budget. Like here are all the documents that we needed to make this happen. And maybe these are the things that we would do differently, um, Take it. <laughs> do something. Do something different. Um, and then tell us how what you learn about from it. And um yeah, hopefully there will be, I mean, I'm sure there are definitely lots of collective WhatsApp groups. Um, but if anybody wants to know how we do it and want to build on it, um, please reach out. Um, and then we also have Gendai Co-op. Um the name kind of um takes this like I don't know um it's it's a combination of many things it's a co-option it's a it's a co-op like a co-op internship it's it, but it's a way of going into institutions and um thinking about how their labor practices um and what we're how we do it now is this is always evolving is we talk to emerging workers at the institutions and talk about how they, um, yeah, what's their life? Um, how do they think things could be different? Um, and we gossip a lot. <laughs> we gossip with co-op. We gossip with MAMBA. We gossip as a methodology to trace the contour, contours of institutional power um, and we build relationships. Um, and yeah, and I think from that we that's how we kind of came up with this idea of having the wiki project for contracts that's um, currently in development. Um, what else are we doing, Katrina?
1: Off ramping?
2: Off ramping. Yes, yes. So from all oh, the that? from all this gossip with the emerging, um, workers at institutions, what came up is that they want to have, they want to have non-institutional lives. So we talk about how that could happen. And, um, yeah, I think we, yeah, we talk about how that could happen. We could talk, talk about how they can use the Gandai platform to test out their experimental ideas and help, uh, build independent practices.
1: Can um, I say the official line? Yes. Yes, please. Um, we are especially interested in working with arts practitioners and collectives who are motivated to imagine or develop off ramps from the linear expressway of traditional capitalist and institutional career progression in the arts
0: this is sexy <laughs> <laughs> i mean
2: this is also a selfish project obviously all of
1: us <laughs> it's a- our dream to off ramp
2: yeah, this is a proof of concept.
0: <laughs>
2: this is uh, this can happen. We want to so make much. sure it happens. Um, so wow. yeah,
0: this is so That's good. What we're doing. And I know you're also, you know, individual people doing things. Is there anything you would like to share about your personal practice? Um, or Marsha, your PhD, something you've been reading about or? Is there anything like off Gendai you'd like to share? Um, I want Patrina to share her, her other collective
2: because we talk <laughs> about why We're both part before. of other collectives. Yeah,
0: it's um, true. You are poly collectives. Like,
1: yeah, which I, like I think is, is so influenced by Gendai's work is the more you work collaboratively, the more fun you realize it is. And also for me, Personally, the more generous I feel I can be. Um, So my other collectives are Durable Good and Ward Ward, um, which are both different kind of artists collectives. Um, Durable Good is a publishing platform and Ward Ward is a collaboration with a Syrian refugee family. And we work in floristry and gardening.
0: Yay. Yeah, these are you're doing really beautiful projects um with both other collectives. And uh Marsha, you are part of also ytv Gallery. and do you have another collective? <laughs> nope,
1: that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that having... Marsha's uh Marsha's PhD is also I
0: Yeah, think, it's very collective. Well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Which it's is
2: exactly unusual true. in the like academia world. Absolutely. I don't know how it even could be. Um, it's always very hard to. Um, yeah. I think everything is about like single authorship.
0: <laughs> I'm not there all yet. the time. All the time. And people have to like protect their ideas because other people will like steal them. Or at least it's like the culture. I think that is like part of Uh, higher education that uh, instilled paranoia not because it doesn't happen but it's like it sucks that it it happens and you have to become less generous let's say
2: yeah and I always do things collaboratively because I don't I don't know I think it's how I can only work and yeah I think like when you're building an academic cv it's like oh these are I mean you do that with curatorial work these are or artists work like solo exhibitions and group exhibitions those are like two different categories I don't have the solo category
1: I say all the time I hope to never have another solo exhibition Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's it's
0: it is yeah it can be a struggle absolutely and I feel like even for this project this podcast project it's like collaborative in some sense but it's still like um me driving the different bits of the project and yeah Collaboration could have been also really great in this instance, I have to say. I I think you do it
1: very collaboratively. Yeah, I feel like people confuse collaboration with a lack of leadership. And leadership is still really important
0: to, you know. I would like to to share the the leadership. Mm. I think that's what I mean. Like sharing leadership would have been great. Or, yeah. There's oh, always season same. two. There's always season two. If it works, I hope it works. It's going to be working. It's fine. It's going to work. <laughs> it's going to work. It's fine. It's, I think, yeah. Are you me I can giving contracts
2: as muscle memory? It's viral.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to be viral. Like this episode and all the other episodes are all going to be viral. Seriously, I, every time I do an interview, I'm like, I am surrounded by really phenomenal people. Like I think that's why I giggle every time I start an episode. It's because I'm like, wow. I've been in conversation with the most inspiring people. And there's like more inspiring people, which is like, it's so wild. <laughs> there's so many inspiring people. Yes. Anyway. I, I, I can't wait to listen to your podcast. Yay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any Last words. What do we do? How no, do we I want to.
1: I want to. Um, I want to share the eight other collectives that mm-hmm. Gundai owes so so much of its uh, thinking and research to um, that continue to be part of our MA MBA think tank, which is now turned into what we call Guidance Council, um, which is basically us eating hot pot and going to the spa together. Um, I mean, but it's this, a really, yeah, it's a really, uh, like you said, such an inspiring list of collectives. There are so many interesting and amazing collectives everywhere. Um, but our group, which we're really fortunate, that um, just had trust in, in us and allowed us to kind of use their leverage to to share their own leverage amongst their communities to kind of build our collective of collectives into something that is bigger than we could have done on our own. Um, And so the other members are BAM, Books Art Music Collective, Bump TV, Durable Good, Glory Hole Gallery, Mice Magazine, T-Base and Chinatown Biennial, Whippersnapper Gallery, and of course, Young Fist and Beyonce.
0: Whoop whoop. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good way of, of, of wrapping it up. Also giving the shout-outs.
1: Oh, I know. And we also in our contract negotiations ask for a 10% fee bump to put in this collective pot. Wow. Because all of our research, it's not just us. It's really, you know, such a collaborative and collective process. We need 10% of our fee to go towards our spa budget.
2: Mm-hmm. And the goal is 20% soon.
1: I, I feel like 10% I mean, is not enough. Just, like, just putting
0: it out there for future yeah. collaborators. It's 20%. <laughs> you are aiming 20%. 20% is happening now. <laughs> um, thank you so much for this enlightening and galvanizing conversation again like now I'm leaving this conversation I have a list of things to do and adopt in my own practice and I'm sure um other people will feel the same and so thank you so much for your generosity always always thank you for that thank
2: you for um, having us um and yeah we're always looking for new collaborators so reach out to us
0: anytime oh yeah we will we will we will fast i will fastly die we will fastly die it's gonna happen people will reach out i'm sure or be excited that's the least yeah um all right well i wish you a good day a good friday you too thank you thank you Bye. bye This episode was made possible through the support of the Canada Arts Council and the Center of the Study of Black Canadian Diaspora. I send my deepest gratitude to my collaborator and invited guest. I am grateful for your presence, labor, and for embarking on this adventure with me. I recorded this episode in Jajage which is situated on the traditional territory of the Ganyaka Nations and long served as a site of meeting and exchange amongst many First Nations, including the Ganyaka of the Hidashianic Confederacy, Uho wandat Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. The theme music is Raindrops Unhearted by Shaldekeh.